Book of Shoftim, we're going to be on page 283 in the uh, blue Complete Jewish Bibles right in front of you. We're going to be going through two different chapters, and we're going to be getting actually a lot of reading in today, which is awesome. I loved how Mike was up here, and he, you know, he just spent that time just reading in God's Torah and his half-Torah. And Brit Hadashah, I just love that. That is the word of God that brings us strength. Uh, someone can stand up here, we can stand up here and say all we want, but at the end of the day, it might just be a bunch of hot air. Uh, but the word of God is forever, and it is a very special thing. So as we get into the book of Shoftim, or Judges, chapter 10, we always have to remember that God has a plan and a purpose for Israel, and God has a plan and a purpose for all of us. It's too easy for us, especially as Gentiles, to condemn the Israelites for falling once again for the temptations and the sins of the world. We always have to remember that we ourselves are no better than them, and we fall into the same exact temptations. And some might argue we are even worse. <laughs> but the, the grand thing to remember, the ultimate thing to remember, is that God will meet us every time where we are as long as we start to take steps towards him. We're actually going to see at one point in our service today in the book of Judges chapter 11 that Adonai is really going to bring this point home for the people of Israel. So Joshua began the conquest of the land, just as a recap of where we're at. Uh, we have a period of the time called the Judges, and we have gone through six judges so far, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Shamgar, Gideon, and today we're going to be going over Tola, Jair, and Jephthah. So we're going to get three judges in this one 30-minute segment that we're going to do here. Just as a quick reminder, there is a constant cycle that we see happen with the people of Israel during this time of judges. They, be, they start off with peace. Their peace leads them to become apathetic towards the things of God, which leads them to sin. They're then oppressed by an outside source. They're judged for their wickedness and their evil, and they come to repentance. They're delivered, and they go back to peace. The cycle then repeats itself again and again. So now last week, we took a break as we were in Shoftim and didn't speak about a judge, but spoke about a ruler of Vimelech who arose on the scene. Vimelech was not a good guy. He led the nation into evilness, and this brought about God actually bringing a redemption. So we didn't necessarily see a judge rise up during the time of Vimelech, but because Vimelech rose up from within the ranks of the children of Israel, God himself actually takes care of him. So verse 1, so after Avibelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, from the tribe of Issachar. He lived in Shamir, in the hills of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and when he died, he was buried in Shamir. Judge number one, we're done. We're only giving a few verses about this Tola character. But Tola is really interesting because even though we only are given three verses, if we begin to dissect the verses, we come across something really interesting. So his name, let's just go with his name to begin with. His name is Tola. Literal translation means a worm. So this word Tola actually comes from the Hebrew word tolat, which is very specific, and it's talking about a specific type of worm, which is called the crimson grub. So this crimson grub is, has a really interesting backstory. 
So this is it right here. Its scientific name is Kumi's Echin Atas. I'm pretty sure I wasn't supposed to put the there, but forgive me for the CH. So we have this crimson grub here. This thing grows in Israel. Actually, it's kind of all over the world, but specifically here in Israel, we have an example of it. So this grub has an interesting life cycle. So once it hatches, it goes and it attaches itself to a tree as the female version of the species. It bores a hole into this tree for the sole purpose of nurturing its body and eating from the tree. All the while, it has its brood growing within it. So eventually, this tolot, this crimson worm, will die. At, upon its death, it forms a white fungal coating over the top of it. And inside of it, there's all these little baby red ones. So it's super interesting. If you were to go up and you saw these and you were to go in and grab one, it might be white on the outside, but if you were to crush it, those little babies would die inside and produce crimson red all over your hand. Now, this is used in dye both today and back then. This is generally what we refer to as red dye in our food coloring. So just hope I didn't stu trip, uh, stumble anybody in saying that. Sorry. So red dye generally comes from this insect. But this leads us to a very interesting point. And I can see the gears running. Some people are going, huh, that sounds really familiar. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does sound really familiar. In the book of Talhalim, or Psalm, chapter 22, verses 1 through 7, it says this. My God, my God. This is Yeshua speaking on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why so far from helping me? So far from my anguished, anguished cries. My God, by day I call to you, but you don't answer. Likewise at night, but I get no relief. Nevertheless, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and escaped. They trusted you and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man scorned by everyone despised by the people. This word worm, this is tolat. Okay, so he is directly referring to himself as a tolat worm, a crimson grub on the cross. And so the question becomes, why would he do that? Well, if we turn to Yeshayahu, or the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, we see he says, come now, says Adonai. Let's talk this over together. Even if your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Even if they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you would be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of Adonai has spoken. So these worms, at the point of their death, they become white like snow. But if you were to crush them, you would be crimson. So even though our sins are red like crimson, they are covered white like snow, as if you could not even see them. So we see that inference being made there. So Tola's an interesting guy. So we see here that possibly with, with Tola, as he was a judge who arose to defend, some translations say Israel, the possibility that while he may not have been involved in any major wars, he acted as a toll lot for the people. He defended 
Israel from their outward enemies. He did things right in the eyes of Adonai and brought righteousness to the people. He was that snow-white covering to prevent their blood from being seen. Verse 3, after him rose Yair from Gilead. He judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 young donkeys. They owned 30 cities, which are called Havot Yair to this day. They are in the territory of Gilead. When Yair died, he was buried in Kaman. 30 donkeys and 30 cities. We have another Hebrew idiom being played out here. So the word for donkeys and the word for cities in this scripture are literally the same exact word. So now we look, when we look at it within the Hebrew, the idea here is they have 30 donkeys and they have 30 cities. So the, the concept that's being put forth is Yair is a man who has money upon money. His, he has so much money that his kids have a Ferrari and that they own their own cities, where they park their Ferraris, is kind of the idea given, given here. So this is a great man of stature. He has wealth and abundance, and yet he is a righteous man. Because these are the only verses about Yair. We're already done. So it's kind of cool to see how Adonai at times will tell you so much about a topic, but then other times he'll tell you virtually nothing. And so... I don't know about you, but I kind of like the idea I'd rather have Adonai say a little bit less about me than to spill all my evil deeds to the world. And so that's kind of the idea that we have going on here. These two are going to strike a big difference in the third judge that we're going to learn about today. Because this third judge, while he is going to judge Israel, there's going to be some bad things. We're going to see a whole cycle of this whole judge cycle is about to be altered slightly as we go forward through the rest of the book of Judges. One thing that is super interesting that I love is that Yair had 30 children, but it doesn't say for multiple wives. I would assume it's not from one woman, but the Bible doesn't say that, so I can't make an absolute declaration that it's only from one woman. But one thing's for sure is he was definitely all about the family and keeping things good and going. And these family, these children, these descendants of Jair had their own cities where they also put forth the righteous standard that Jair also had. As we raise godly children in our country, it is so important nowadays. You know, we can quite often fall onto a side, well, I'm older, I don't have any children left. Well, I'm young, I don't have any children yet. And we have to come to this understanding and this realization that whether we have children today or we've had children in the past, we're all in this together, working together. So that means as a grandparent, we're still helping our grandchildren to make good decisions. And as a parent, I'm helping my children to make good decisions. And as a person who maybe doesn't have children yet, I'm learning how to get it so that when I do have children, they can make good decisions. You know, and the world is full of all kinds of ideas of things that will help us to raise a godly offspring. Here's the first, I found a couple quotes that I wanna go through here. This first one, don't worry that children never listen to you. 
worry that they're always watching you. That's pretty good. Yeah, they are always watching, aren't they? Always watching. It is not what you do for your children, but what you have taught them to do for themselves that will make them successful human beings. That's pretty good, too. Yeah, you know, teach a kid what to do, and, you know, they should be fairly successful in life. In our society, we see you can't go on Facebook or TikTok or anything without seeing hack this and a hack for that. We have parenting hacks. Parenting hack number one. There are no hacks. Everything is hard. <laughs> this is your life now. Godspeed. Yep kind of thrown into it as a parent. You just kind of learn on the job as you go along, and that's okay. You take your bumps and your bruises. But the thing, this last one that I found here really drives the point home, is that when it comes to children, having a child is like getting a tattoo on your face. You better be committed. It's not going anywhere. It's with you for the rest of your life, even as a grandparent. Your children are still with you. They're still influenced by your actions and how you live your lives. But my favorite comes not from the world, but comes from the Bible. Mishle, or Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and even when old, he will not swerve from it. You know, as parents, we can often fall into the trap of you know, I messed up in my life in regards to A, B, C, or D. You know, maybe I messed up because I was a drunkard. I messed up because I got pregnant out of wedlock. I messed up because of whatever it might be. Insert your own thing in there. And we can easily fall to this trap that because of my past mess-ups, what right do I have to speak into somebody else's life about that? And the truth is, we have every right to do so because we've been through it. We've seen the evil and the bad that comes forward, and therefore we have the right to speak to help someone else so that they don't fall into the same trap. Verse 6 in Judges. Again, the people of Israel did what was evil from Adonai's perspective. So we see the cycle starting again. They served the Baalim, the Ashtarot, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Pilishtim. They abandoned Adonai and did not serve him. So the anger of Adonai blazed against Israel, and he handed them over to the Pilishtim and the people of Ammon. For 18 years, starting that year, they oppressed and persecuted all the people of Israel who lived beyond the Yarden in the territory of the Emorim in Gilead. So the children of Israel had gone two cycles without having evil come in their midst. They've had two judges. They've had a total of 45 years of peace. But eventually, it does sneak back in. Avimelech really messed them up. They had a bad time with Avimelech, and they learned that, hey, we better keep our lives straight because we don't want another Avimelech type of situation. And so they did really good. And one judge comes up, one judge passes away, another judge is raised up, and they do really good. But eventually the cycle does cut, uh, catch back up with them. So they've done evil, what's in Adonai's perspective, and they're being judged. 
the people of Ammon, also crossed the Jordan to fight Yehuda, Binyamin, and the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was greatly distressed. Then the people of Israel cried to Adonai, We have sinned against you by forsaking your God and serving the Baalim. Adonai said to the people of Israel, I saved you from the Egyptians, the Amorim, the people of Ammon, the Philistine, didn't I? Likewise, when the people of Sidon, Amalek, and Ma'on oppressed you, you cried out to me, and I rescued you from their power. Yet you abandoned me and served other gods. Therefore, I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry to the gods you chose. Let them rescue you when you are in trouble. Seven nations Adonai delivered them from. The Egyptians, the Amorim, Ammon, Philistine, Sidon, Amalek, and Ma'on. This number seven, we know it and we're familiar with it because it comes up constantly in the Bible. We see seven as the number of completion. After seven comes the number eight. Eight means new beginnings. And that's what we're seeing here. We've seen seven nations that have been put down by Adonai up until this point. And we've also seen seven judges that have arisen at this point. So we have seven and we have seven once again. And Adonai says, okay, I've given you complete deliverance from your enemies by bringing you complete leadership. Now we got a new beginning here. Something has to change. The cycle has to change. And so now Adonai puts it in their hands and he says, I'm not going to save you. What are you going to do? Okay, let's see what the people do. Verse 15, the people of Israel said to Adonai, we have sinned. All right, you already said that. Okay. Treat us in whatever way seems good to you. Oh, interesting. But save us today. They got rid of their foreign gods and served Adonai, and he became troubled for, by Israel's misery. So not only did they say, God, save us, they said, you know what, save us in spite of ourselves. Do what you need to do, but still save us. We will bear the consequences of our sin, but please save us. And not only will we bear the consequences of our sin, we are going to trash all these idols that we have brought into our land. And they actually do it. And that changes Adonai's heart. And Adonai says, all right, here we go. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and set up camp in Gilead, while the people of Israel assembled and camped at Mitzpah. The people, the chiefs of Gilead, said to each other, whoever leads the battle against the army of Ammon will be head over everyone living in Gilead. Now Yiftach, this is chapter 11, or Jephthah, a brave soldier from Gilead was the son of a prostitute. Okay, he's got things going against him starting off. His father, Gilead, had other sons by his wife. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Yiftach away and told him, you will not inherit from our father because you are another woman's son. Then Yiftach fled from his brothers and lived in the territory of Tov. There he enlisted a gang of rowdies who would go out raiding at with him. After a while, the people of Ammon made war against Israel. When the army of Ammon attacked Israel, the leaders of Gilead went to fetch Yiftach from the territory of Tov and said to him, Come and be our chief so that we can fight the army of Ammon. You know, Adonai does lead us into different testings and trials within our lives. And the thing is, 
those testings and those trials, they're never meant to bog us down and to break us and grind us into dust. They're actually meant to uplift us and strengthen us for the real tests that are about to come our way. We see that with Yiftach. He was dealt a pretty raw hand, but he's overcoming and he's stepping up now. Yiftach answered the leaders of Gilead, don't you hate me so much that you forced me out of my father's house? Why are you coming to me now when you're in trouble? The leaders of Gilead replied, here is why we've come back to you now. If you lead us in war with the people of Ammon, you will be head over everyone living in Gilead. Yiftach answered them, if you bring me back home to fight the army of Ammon and Adonai defeats them for me, I will be your head. The leaders of Gilead said to Yiftach, Adonai is witness that we promise to do what you have said. Then Yiftach went with the leaders of Gilead and the people made him head and chief over them. Yiftach repeated all these conditions at Mitzpah in the presence of Adonai. Yiftach sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon to say, what's your problem with us? Why are you invading our territory? And the king of Ammon answered the messengers of Yiftach, because Israel took away my territory when they came up from Egypt. They took everything from the Arnon to the Yabak and the Yarden. Now restore it peacefully. Yiftach sent messengers again to the king of the people of Ammon with this response. Here is what Yiftach has, say, has to say. Israel captured neither the territory of Moab nor the territory of the people of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt, walked through the desert to the Red Sea, and arrived at Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom to say, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom wouldn't let them. He sent a similar message to the king of Moab, but neither would he. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Then they walked through the desert around the territory of Edom and the territory of Moab, past the east border of the territory of Moab, and pitched camp on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not cross the border into Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amori, and king of Heshbon with this message. Please let us pass through your land to our own place. But Sihon did not trust that Israel would only pass through his land. So he gathered all his people together, pitched camp at Yachatz, and fought against Israel. Adonai, the God of Israel, handed Sihon and all his people over to Israel, and they killed them. Thus Israel possessed all the territory of the Amori who lived there. They took possession of all the territory of the Amori from the Arnon to the Yabak, and from the desert to the Arnon. So now that Adonai, the God of Israel, has expelled the Amori from before his people Israel, do you think that you will expel us? So he's given them a history lesson. Our God has done this. You think you're going to be able to do this? You should just keep the territory your God, Chemosh, has given you, while we, for our part, will hold on to whatever Adonai, our God, has given us of the lands that belong to the others before us. Really? Are you better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever pick a quarrel with Israel or fight with us? Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, in Oror and its villages, and in the cities on the banks of the Arnon for 300 years. 
why didn't you take them back during that time? So he says, you've had plenty of time. It's been 300 years we've been in this land, and you've never once come to us. In fact, we went into your territory because you attacked us first, and as a spoil of war, we took you captive and your land captive. We then developed the land, and now you want it back now that we've done all the hard work. Where have you been for 300 years? Now, I have done you no wrong, but you are doing me wrong to war against me. May Adonai the judge be judged today between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the people of Ammon paid no attention to the message with which Yiftach sent. So this is the route that they took. So they come to Kadesh. They want to go through the land and come right on up. They're told, no, you can't come here. No, you can't come here. No, you can't come here. And so they said, okay, we'll go all the way down towards the Red Sea, come all the way, or, I'm sorry, not the Red Sea, the, um, thank you. <laughs> come all the way down, and then we'll come all the way back around and skirt around the whole territory. We never touched your territory once when we came into this land. You attacked us, and therefore we had to defend ourselves. You lost, that's how wars work, and we gained the spoils of war. So verse 29, then the spirit of Adonai came upon Yiftach, and he passed through Gilead, excuse me, and Manasseh, on through Mitzpah, Gilead, and from there over to the people of Ammon. Yiftach made a vow to Adonai. If you will hand the people of Ammon over to me, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon will belong to Adonai. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Yiftach crossed over to fight the people of Ammon, and Adonai handed them over to him. He killed them from Aror until, the, the, until you reach Minit, 20 cities, all the way to Avel Kavraim. It was a massacre. So the people of Ammon were defeated before the people of Israel. Now as Yiftach was returning to his house in Mizpah, his daughter came dancing out to meet him with tambourines. Yeah, we all see where this is going, right? She was his only child. She had no other, he had no other son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Daughter, oh no, my daughter, you're breaking my heart. Why must you be the cause of such pain to me? I made a vow to Adonai, and I can't back, go back on my word. She said to him, Father, you made a vow to Adonai, so do whatever you said you would do to me. Because Adonai did take vengeance on your enemies, the people of Ammon. Foolish choice. It's interesting how his daughter accepts, though, the vow that her father foolishly made. Then she said to her father, just do this one thing for me. Let me be alone for two months. I'll go away into the mountains with my friends and mourn because I will die without getting married. You may go, he answered. And he sent her away for two months. She left, she and her friends, and mourned in the mountains that she would die unmarried. After two months, she returned to her father, and he did with her what he had vowed. She had remained a virgin 
So it became a law in Israel that the women of Israel would go every year for four days to lament the daughter of Yiftach from Gilead. There's two prevailing interpretations to the scripture. The first one is that he did offer her as a burnt offering. That thought as a father of a daughter jars me to my core. But it also lines up with the narrative that we're reading here in this book. The overarching theme is that, and Israel did what was right in their own eyes. The second interpretation is that she became a hermit. She dwelled in the wilderness by herself. And once a year, for four days a year, she was allowed visitors, only female. That's a modern day interpretation. That sits a little more gently on my spirit. Regardless, From the book, The Prophets, the Reuben edition, it says it is clear from the narrative that Jephthah did not know the halakha, the way he should walk, and considered his vow to apply. Indeed, the sages criticized him harshly for being too proud to seek halakhic guidance and use him as an example of the danger of piety without knowledge of the Torah. Because here's the thing. Had Jephthah gone and sought out biblical counsel from the Levim before he did this, he would have found out halakhically he had a way out. There's actually two things that could have happened that he could have gotten out. He wouldn't have had to offer up his daughter, whether it be as a hermit or as an actual burnt offering. In Bereshit Rabbah, the discussion goes about this in regard to offerings. Rabbi Yochanan argues that the Torah required him to set aside the monetary value of his daughter for the purchase of offerings. He could have set aside the money and said, okay, I spared my daughter, but I have to make that offering still, so I have to set apart her value. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish argues that the vow could only apply to animals and not to humans. Adonai is not pleased with human sacrifice. We hear that constantly. He had outs, but he did not choose halakhic insight. He did not learn how to live out his life. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, we'll close with this. Our master is speaking, and he says, Again, you have heard that our fathers were told, Do not break your oath, and keep your vows to Adonai. But I tell you, not to swear at all, not by heaven because it is God's throne, not by the earth because it is his footstool, and not by Yerushalayim because it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head because you can't make a single hair white or black. Just let your yes be a simple yes and your no a simple no. Anything more than that has its origin in evil. Words have meanings and are valuable. We always have to remember that. And that's why in all aspects of our lives, when we're dealing with friends, family, our spouse, our children, we need to have everything done on purpose. No word that comes from my mouth will ever not be accounted for. There will be an accounting for everything that comes forward from us. 